welcome to the Violet Ghost Train, where Halloween never ends, Christmas Eve is always extra haunted, and every summer's day ends in a thunderstorm. I'm Crow Violet, your host. Join us. to season one episode one of the violet ghost train i have the world's worst cold and i'm on probably one of the world's worst microphones but i got really excited and i could not wait any longer to launch this season one episode one and the first question why is this a ghost train well because like most things in life and most things in my life it's haunted and i've no idea where it's going scary i can cope with Boring, I cannot. Well, we're going to be sharing the peculiar, the bizarre, the unpleasant, the frightening, the downright disturbing, the uncanny. Whether that is in terms of films and intensely obscure television that we've watched, or whether it's the ghost stories we heard as children, or even the odd bizarre thing that may have happened to us along the way ourselves, personally. This is the purpose of the Violet Ghost Train. If you'll forgive me mixing a metaphor for a second, it's as if we're seated around a roaring fire at midnight. It's rather cold and dark outside, isn't it? But we take it in turns to tell our tales. This week it's just me. As time goes on, I will be joined by some other podcasters and sharing some of the darker moments. And I'm going to start off right now with our ghost story of the episode, our first one. I'm going to share some low-key, rather more obscure ghost stories that I've managed to pick up from my many years of reading and researching this kind of thing. I'm going to try and steer away from some of the better known stories. For example, I'd love to record a piece about Borley Rectory, but what can I say about Borley Rectory that's not been said a thousand times before? And how can I do it in a short podcast? I can't, is the answer. So I'm going to be looking at some more obscure stories, as I say. And some that are quite local to me as well. So I'm going to start off with a story about an area of Sheffield, not far from where I grew up. It's a place called Graves Park, an appropriately named park by the sound of it for a Halloween week season launch, I imagine. Graves Park is huge. I don't have the facts and figures with me. I am merely the ignorant presenter and do not have a team of researchers to do these things for me. One day we will. But I do know that Grace Park is one of the largest urban parks in the UK. 
certainly one of the largest urban green spaces. It's kind of a labyrinth of trees and hills and waterfalls. It has small lakes here and there unexpectedly. Huge diversity of wildlife. It's a fascinating area. There is a sort of former stately home towards the top end of the park. It also contains ancient earthworks which have never been ex excavated or academically studied in detail. And in a more recent time, the ruins of old farm gates and some other gates that follow the path of the old coach road that used to run through this place. It would have been the main coach road between Sheffield and London. And folklore tells stories of that some nights a ghostly black coach still rides the line of the old road, still racing desperately, either away from Sheffield or towards it. I say a folkloric ghost story, I can't find anyone who claims to have seen that, which is a shame, but it's a good story. I don't really care about anything else. What I want is a good story. I want the power of dreams and words and things that are passed down from generation to generation. So I'm happy to keep my story of the black coach that rides at night. And I like to think it rides by full moon and is utterly silent. Just imagine for a second. Now what we do have slightly more evidence for, I want to say, perhaps in inverted commas, is the ghostly lady who walks near the boating lakes in the far corner of the park. And the evidence I have is a photograph published about 25 years ago for the first time, if not a little bit before actually. And I don't think it's widely shared, I think it's a photograph that uh, has been widely shared on the internet or anything in recent years. It seems to show the shape of a kind of Edwardian or Victorian lady walking in the woods near the lake. I'm not certain what it actually shows or if we can really call it evidence of anything. It could quite easily be a paradonic image, one that's formed just by coincidental patterns of light and shade. But it's atmospheric, shall we say. I'll try and share it somewhere on some social media formats in the next day or two. The most well-known story about the park is the story of the Green Man. Now the story goes, and we've dated this second or third hand tale to about 1980-1981. Winter and twilight, 1981, the height of the Cold War. Dark and strange time, and a dark and strange time of day as well. Our witness is walking through the edge of the park, near the main entrance of the upper part of the park anyway, across the fields. The park gets quiet at night, it's deserted. Just a man and his dog. And suddenly, 
hears an unexpected noise. A whistling sound. An unearthly, low, haunting whistling. And our witness turns. And behind him, from the tree line at the edge of the park, at the edge of the field, a shape is falling. Now this is where the whistling noise seems to originate. And the shape is of a man. Perhaps seven feet tall, the witness thinks. And yet composed of mist. Shining, green, luminescent mist. They stare at each other. As far as you can tell what a shape like that is staring at. They stare at each other. Whilst our witness makes a move, the green man begins to stride towards him, taking long, inhuman, unnatural strides, whistling hauntingly all the time, tunelessly echoing across the empty, deserted twilight. And our witness does what many of us would do. He turns and starts to walk quickly away. I do love that detail. Not run. Better man than that, our witness. But he walks, turns back over his shoulder, and the shape seems to follow him, and then just breaks up and vanishes again. And it's gone. And all that's left is the silence of the park. Of the setting sun. I've heard other stories from police officers who used to walk the streets around the edge on night duty, which is not a thing you see very much anymore. That perhaps even dates the story even more so. How they wouldn't walk alone if they could avoid it because they saw something very similar. Except this time, of course, the shape was pacing the streets of the suburbs beyond the fields of the park. I like to think that sometimes it might have stopped and peered in at one of those windows of the new-built houses that we put up on the old farmland. Maybe. Maybe if you lived in one of those houses, perhaps at night you might just sit in bed and listen out to the sound of whistling in the darkness of your back garden. Well then, that's our first story of this nature. I've got quite a few of these, but this is kind of partly what the ghost train's all about. I want my co-presenters, I want people to come on and share their own stories. Or to just watch things with me and discuss what we thought. Based stories like that, that I think are really important because these are the kind of stories that do not get recorded. They don't tend to end up in widely published books. Perhaps, like this one, they make their start in small press, local things that never get outside into the wider world. 
Or perhaps they never get shared at all because they've never been written down anywhere before or since. And if there's one thing I want to do is to archive the bits of history and culture, otherwise it's going to get lost. And fade away at twilight like a ghost. Oh, I am so unnecessarily spooky. I can't help myself sometimes. Well, to conclude tonight, and after all, it's always night here on the ghost train, we are going to discuss a little piece of obscure archive television. A rather creepy little story. It was first broadcast back in the 1980s under the BBC's banner drama heading West Country Tales. title of the individual episode is simply The Visitor. Now West Country Tales is really odd. I mean it's pure filler television. It's designed to slot into late night BBC schedule gaps quite clearly. And it's all done with voiceovers. There's no sound recorded on location whatsoever as far as I can tell. The Visitor tells the story of Janice. She's a young woman who moves to a remote seaside cottage with her young daughter, who appears to be about two or three years old, whilst her husband is away serving in the Navy. You might imagine that a story about a Londoner, note the emphasis, moving into a small community in a remote part of the world, might focus on a sort of very traditional and stereotype folk horror narrative, Surprisingly, it doesn't on this occasion. Everyone is obviously very lovely to her indeed. And then, one day at the beach, an inexplicable fear engulfs Janice. She hears the sound of strange calling or crying out from the clifftops. And then, the visitor arrives. And the visitor is Fran, who is a chain-smoking hippie type in a big red coat and with a somewhat manic gaze. And Janice can't quite recall where and when she met Fran. She may be a friend of a cousin, or perhaps some other slightly more obscure connection. She's very vague about it, and from then on in the story, nothing really is as it seems. I knew she was trying to frighten me, but I was determined not to show it. Then, without another word, she marched off across the beach. It frustrated me to see that Kelly was in her arms again. The mood of the beach had quite changed, and I was possessed by the most primitive of emotions. Fear. Now, again, I don't want to spoil this for anyone who hasn't had the joy of West Country Tales before. But what I really love here is that the story is never clear in the slightest. We are never really told if the events are some kind of supernatural intervention that's taking place. It's possible that this could be a ghost story of some kind. It's possible that there's perhaps a psychological component. This could be a literal or allegorical exploration of a mental health crisis. 
experienced by an isolated young woman in a stressful situation. We aren't told any of this. What we are told is that reality, as perceived purely through Janice's eyes as she tells the stories, very clearly in flux. Some things are broken, then inexplicably made whole again. And what seemed like a fairly standard ghost story becomes something much more subversive almost. The story won't resolve any of our innings at all. Instead, it's a really simple and cheap drama that manages somehow to turn that simple voiceover track and a bit of location footage into something very creepy and unsettling indeed. And for me, I think the lostness, the obscurity of West Country Tales and the visitor in particular, the lack of any recognisable faces, that only serves to enhance the uncanny atmosphere. This feels like a ghost haunting regular television almost. What I like best of all, I think, is that sometimes in folk horror we understand the source of the horror. The horror is often what you find in the woods, what you find in the forest, like a stone circle, and you dig up below your cottage unexpectedly. And yes, sometimes the horror in folk horror isn't that. It isn't what we find in the woods or indeed down by the shore. But it's what we bring there ourselves. I think I'll leave the final words here to Janice. We're on our own now. But fear has moved in with me. And the night is still to come. Well, thank you very much for taking a trip tonight on the Violet Ghost Train. I'm going to be back very soon. There'll be pylons, there'll be standing stones, there'll be all kinds of stuff. So join us next time, and until then, good night and sleep well. Mm -hmm.